I want to invite you today to, to dinner, a dinner party. I'm going to ask you to join me in a spacious house going through the courtyard into an inner room. It's a dining room. In this dining room, you'll find the, the floor is covered with thick Persian rugs, and the walls are adorned with these beautifully handcrafted wall hangings. In the center of this room, where we're going to have dinner, is a long, low table with cushioned couches that run the full length on either side of the table. The room is lit with oil lamps, and it's very comfortable and very inviting. We're going to have dinner in several courses, and servants appear seemingly out of nowhere to fill your glass. You are reclining at table on your left elbow. Now, I know we all grew up with get the elbows off the table. This is different. We're going to put our left elbow on the table as we lean on the table on the left side. You've taken off your sandals and your feet are behind you. That's where we are. It's an occasion. The host of this dinner is a man named Simon. He's a Pharisee. And as so often occurs in our lives, something totally unexpected happens. An interruption. An interruption in your dinner. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke 7. Luke 7, we're going to read verse 36 through 50 of Luke 7. It's on page 839 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the projection. Luke 7, 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We have three characters in this story. 
Simon the Pharisee, the woman, sinner, and Jesus. Three characters. And I want to ask the question today, who are you? Which person do you identify with most closely of these three characters? Who are you most like? And what can we learn from each of these characters? Three characters in contrast. Let's start with Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee. Simon was a typical Pharisee. He was a traditionalist and he was a legalist. What was he like? First of all, he was more concerned about tradition than people. More concerned about tradition than people. The woman who interrupted his dinner was a sinner, probably a prostitute. And the Jews had rules. They had rules about associating with known sinners with this type of person. And their rules and traditions dictated every action they took, every action. And they were supposed to follow the rules. Their understanding was that following the rules was how they pleased God. You want to please God? Yeah, just follow the rules. Simon's relationship with God was not a relationship at all. It was more like a, a, a contract or contractual obligations. I do and I don't do, therefore I'm okay with God. There was no thought of the internalization of this faith. His religion consisted only of outward observable actions. I look good, therefore I am good. Secondly, Simon was inhospitable, inhospitable. Now, there's no reason to think that Simon was hostile to Jesus. He invited him to dinner. But he didn't take the accepted measures of hospitality. If you were in the ancient Near East at this time, and you had a visitor, there were certain standard protocols. These were accepted standards of behavior that you would take. You had a guest. First, you would wash their feet. Second, you would give a kiss of greeting. And then thirdly, you would anoint their head with oil. These were signs of respect and courtesy and love. Now, we don't have modern equivalents just like that, but we have paved streets and sidewalks. You probably, if you offered to wash your guests' feet, they'd probably be insulted. So we don't offer to wash people's feet. Instead, we might say to them, they come into our house, we say, may I take your coat? Can I, can I get you something to drink? Please have a seat. Make yourself at home. My fridge is your fridge. No, you can't say that. Make yourself at home. Then, as we learned in my house, you always serve the guests first, and then pass the food to the rest of the family. There are standards and protocols, and Simon ignored all these standard protocols, was not hospitable, and this showed his true attitude toward Jesus. Simon is also judgmental. Let us see. He drew conclusions. He judged and he thought the worst. Coming, coming regarding the woman, he immediately judged this woman as unworthy to even be in his house. He judged her for her past and he watched her with contempt. He also watched Jesus with contempt. His thoughts were Jesus could not be a prophet because he didn't know what kind of woman this was. I mean, everybody here knew this woman was a sinner, a prostitute. Is Jesus clueless? What is it? A religious person surely would never associate with such a person. Certainly no one would touch a person like this or allow a sinner to touch them. Judgmental. Now, there's, a, there's an interesting 
grammatical construct here in the original language of Greek. It's the use of the word if. If. There's a construct that when you use it in a certain way, it means it's, it's called a first-class conditional and second-class conditional. He said, if this man were a prophet, and if it was a first-class conditional, it would be considered, the answer would be yes. So if this man were, were a prophet, he would know this woman, whatever. The other one was, if this man were a prophet, if, then he would, then the, the answer was not true. So you can tell by the grammatical structure of his use of the Greek language or the language of that day that he believes he's not a prophet. Just by asking, he said, if this man were a prophet, and he assumes it's not true. So he just drew a conclusion judging not only this woman, but judging Jesus. He assumes Jesus is not a prophet. It's arrogant. It's an arrogant statement. So in this judgmental attitude, Simon proved, number four, he did not know God. He did not know God. He had his concept of a prophet, a representative, a spokesperson for God and how God would react to sinners. And that showed he did not know God. His concept of God was someone who would not associate with sinners. And, and we find that all throughout our series on the life of Jesus, the chosen. The religious people thought there's no way a really good person would associate with sinners. But that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. Luke 5, 31, we looked at several weeks ago. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. That's why I came. I came for that reason. Jesus came to show that God loves and associates with us sinners. That's good news. Five, Simon did not know himself. He did not know himself. He was arrogant. He was proud. Thought he was worth more to God, more important. He thought he was better than she was, and he knew far more than Jesus, a know-it-all. Wouldn't you just love know-it-alls? Yeah, we, we have them in our life. But he didn't know how wrong he was. Finally, in his arrogance, Simon loved little. He did not have much love. So the question is, regarding Simon, how about us today? Are we like Simon? Who are you? Are we so concerned about traditions that we don't place value on people? Are traditions, rules more important than people? Are we more concerned about our comfort with the rules and boundaries than, than people? A past church where Judy and I served had some traditions. Every church has traditions. Some of them were written and some of them were not. Most of them are usually not. And one such unwritten rule was no hats in the sanctuary. Okay? No, that was an unwritten rule. It wasn't in the bylaws of the church. It wasn't in the Bible. It just said it was in their thing. No hats in the sanctuary. And I'm sure it started as a noble attempt to establish respect and proper etiquette, whatever. And I, re I will never forget this happened. One Sunday, there was a young man sitting on the bench just outside the sanctuary. And he dressed like a lot of young people. He had a hat on. 
And he got up to go into the sanctuary, and the usher stopped him. He stopped him, and he said, don't you dare go into the sanctuary with that hat on. The man, young man stopped, looked confused, turned around, and he left. I, I don't know if he ever came back. That, that was a rule, a tradition, and that was so important that it trumped people. Rules, are rules more important than people? Whether it's rules in church or rules in Christianity, the way we do church, the standard of dress, certain pet doctrines, even things like style of music. And is it more important that we're comfortable or that we place people as important? I thank God that a long time ago, this church chose to sacrifice some of their preferences and comfort zone in music in order to change the style, in order to appeal to non-believers or younger generation. Say, I'm going to sacrifice that. And I commend you for doing that because people are more important than our traditions. Do we exercise genuine hospitality? Every Sunday we have company, first-time guests. Are we more concerned about someone else's comfort than our own? Am I here to be comfortable or here to make our guests feel comfortable? Are we judgmental? Are we quick to judge by externals or appearances? Or are we quick to judge by a person's history? Do we quickly forget the grace and mercy of God and His forgiveness? Fourthly, do we really know God? Or do we have misconceptions of His love, mercy, grace, and acceptance? Are we unconditional or conditional in our acceptance of people? Yes, God is a God of righteousness, justice, and holiness. We exercise His love. He exercises His justice. Are we arrogant? Do we ever think we're better than anyone else? God loves me best. Do we love little? Because we are forgiven little, do we love little? Simon the Pharisee, that's who he was. Who are you? The second character in our cast of three was the woman. The woman. What was this woman like? What was this woman like? First of all, she had a history. She had a history. And by that, I mean a a bad history, a bad reputation. A sinner in this context was synonymous with a prostitute. No one disputed this fact. It was well known. It was well documented. And this made her untouchable, an unwelcome guest. But this woman, who was a sinner, was, secondly, was prepared by God. Now, what do I mean by that? Somehow, this woman, who knew she was a sinner, also knew she just might have a chance of being accepted by God. There was hope. There was was faith. She had learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and God drew her. God prepared her heart somehow to know that Jesus cared and God loved her. This is what happened to each and every one of us who came to Jesus to ask for forgiveness of our sins. This is God's drawing work, His grace. It's called prevenient grace. It's called preparing grace. We think, I, I, I just came to God one day and no, it, it, it's not up to us. It was up to God extending His grace first. We're, we're saved by grace, not by, not by works. It's called prevenient grace. 
It literally means grace that comes before, preparing grace. And it awakens us to our need for forgiveness and our need for a relationship with God. That's His grace. That's what God does for people who need Jesus. That's what He did for us. God, her ready. Thirdly, this woman is courageous. What a risk she took. A known prostitute coming to the house of a religious leader when he had important guests at an important dinner party. Talk about risk. Now some, some people stop and ask, how did she get in? How did she get into the house? I mean, did she have an invite? How did she get past security? Was this a gated community? No. Interestingly, this is our culture of today. Bruce Larson says, a party in those days was a public event. Homes had open courts and uninvited guests could stand around and observe the guests and the festivities. That's unthinkable to us. We, we have our backyard fences with our barbecue in the back and we don't let anybody come in or see us. No, back then it was all wide open. It's a little different than today's suburban city. But to actually enter and approach this guest, that was very, that was still a risk. This woman knows letter D was she was repentant. She was very aware of her need. She was sorry for her past wrongs and demonstrated her remorse by weeping profusely. So many tears that she could actually wash Jesus' feet with them and wiping him with her hair. She was grateful. She demonstrated her gratefulness, which comes from the root of grace, by anointing Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. This was expensive perfume. It wasn't a drugstore variety. It was probably a Nordstrom type. She was transparent. Transparent, letter F. Genuine, real, and authentic. She showed her true feelings. Some people believe this woman had no intention of washing Jesus' feet with her tears, only anointing them with perfume, but as the tears flowed, she displayed a beautiful transparency as she wiped them with her hair. Humble, transparent, open sorrow and affection. And finally, this woman loved much. She loved much. Why did she love much? Because she had been forgiven much. Can you identify with this woman this morning? Maybe you have a history. Maybe it's a bad history. Sins you don't think God will ever forgive. You don't want anyone to know. Maybe not just terribly bad, but not good enough to measure up. God is preparing you this morning. The fact that you are here this morning is no accident. It's called prevenient grace. God's preparing grace. Producing hope and faith that God loves you and wants to do something in your life. Courageous. It always takes courage to admit we're sinners, admit we need God, come to God by faith. If we have a history, and all of us do. Number four, repentant. Are you truly sorry? Sorrowful for your past. We have to take responsibility for our past actions. I did it, then say, I'm sorry. Sorry and sorrow are similar words. When my children were really sorry for one of their actions, it usually became evident by sorrow or tears. And I always look for that. 
Because you can say I'm sorry, but unless I saw some emotion, some tears, I thought, I don't know if, I don't know if he's or she's sorry. And then grateful. Are we grateful knowing that all this comes from God? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Transparent, real, and genuine. Do we love much? The more we've been forgiven, the more we love. Do you identify with a woman today? Who are you? Well, whether you're here this morning, identify with Simon, the self-righteous Pharisee, who had never done a lot of wrong, wrong things, living in judgment on the less fortunate, or a sinner with a terrible past like this woman. Jesus brings them both together under one roof to show love for both of them, both of them. And I hope we're all a little like the third character, which is Jesus. Jesus. What was Jesus like? First of all, he was all-knowing, all-knowing. Jesus knew what kind of woman this was. He also knew and read Simon's innermost thoughts. He knew Simon's character. He knew the woman's character. Jesus knows us, good, bad, all things. There's nothing hidden from God. We don't need to pretend. He knows. And in spite of that all-knowing, Jesus loved them both. Loved them both. Jesus doesn't gloss over sin, whether it's a sin of pride, arrogance, or judgment like Simon, or the sin of immorality or prostitution. Despite our condition or sin, Jesus loves us. And whether you have committed sins you think are unforgivable, or you think you're a terrific person who doesn't need God, God loves you, and because of that love, Jesus forgives, forgives. Some people wait their entire life hoping to hear those words. I forgive you. What does forgiveness mean to you personally? A clean slate, a new start, restored relationship. The worse the offense, the more we appreciate the forgiveness. And that's why Jesus said, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. He who has been forgiven little loves little. In actuality, we all have. All of us have many sins. And we've all been forgiven much. Are you forgiven today? Do you extend forgiveness? Are we like Simon, unable to see people as they are forgiven? Do we keep seeing people as they used to be? Can we see people as Jesus sees them? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. The call is to stop looking at people as they were, but to look at people as forgiven, or as they could be if they were forgiven. Jesus never minimizes sin. He knows the devastating consequences of sin. He came to fulfill the law. His standards of perfection and right moral behavior are just as high as they've always been. Jesus never minimizes sin, but he maximizes forgiveness. That's why 
He forgives sin. And finally, letter D, Jesus saves. In verse 50, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Peace, what, what does that peace mean? It means she, she now has peace with God, she can have peace with herself, and she can have peace with others. Peace. Do you have peace with God? Do you know for certain that Jesus has forgiven your sins? The question, do you know for certain that if you die tonight, do you know that you go to heaven? I've asked that question to many people, many different answers. Some say, well, I, I hope so, I think so. I don't know, I'm not sure, and, or they say, yes, I know. And if you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? I, I'm not too bad, or I'm better than most. Or would you say, Jesus forgave my sins. I asked, he answered. Jesus saved me and gave me peace with God. Three characters, three persons. Who are you? God may be calling you to receive his forgiveness. God may be calling you to extend his forgiveness or to forgive someone else. God may be calling you to let someone know about God's incredible forgiveness extended to all, regardless of the life situation. So they too can experience forgiveness and have a new start. Who are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us an illustration of a real person, a person in history who had a history. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you demonstrate your forgiveness for us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to open up forgiveness for those that need forgiveness, that you would help us to be an extension of your voice and forgiveness. And that we would surrender our lives to you, to be used of you. We give you that now in Jesus' name.